Hello, and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today on the show, I'd like to welcome U.S. News Executive Chairman Eric Gertler as we continue our Leaders Talk series. Eric, as well as President and CEO Bill Holliber, recently returned from the World Economic Forum Conference in Davos, Switzerland, and were publishing interviews they conducted with a wide range of leaders in business, media, and politics through Wealth of Knowledge as part of this Leaders Talk series. Eric, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I asked Bill Holliber this same question starting off when he was in the studio, but I'm curious to your opinion as well. What was your experience at Davos? Why take part in this series of interviews with global business leaders? Well, thank you, and, and, and wonderful first question. Davos is really a congregation of world leaders who are together for four or five days, and that gives us an opportunity to talk to them about a few different things related to, to leadership. And most importantly, and for our purposes, it is first, leadership matters. It doesn't matter if it's 20th century or 21st century. Leadership matters, and the decision that leaders make have consequences. How leaders motivate or inspire people also matter, whether they're global leaders, political leaders, business leaders. Every leader needs to figure out how to inspire his or her employees. Uh, the second thing is it's always important to check in on the characteristics that uh, make up good, good leadership. And often, as we find out in a series of these interviews, the characteristics of what makes for a good leader has not changed. It's the environment in which leaders are now operating. And so that, that last point allows us to explore how leadership is changing in the 21st century, what is needed to inspire new and emerging employees, millennials, for example, and how do you also think about leading in a new, far more globally connected world, one in which technology is driving businesses, and then also one in which the world is moving at a much faster pace than before. And to learn how leaders and great leaders operate in this environment, we think was ripe for, uh, for U.S. News and for U.S. News to educate our audience on. We're about to hear an interview between you and Tim Ryan, the U.S. Chairman and Senior Partner at PwC. Can you tell us what your conversation was about and what, from Tim's perspective, was unique from other interviews at Davos? Well, as, as you point out, Tim is the U.S. Chairman and Senior Partner for PwC. So he has a big job with a lot of employees. And Tim is an inspiring and passionate and principled leader. And we talked about a few different parts of leadership. One is we talked about the notion of value-driven uh, leadership. And that's important from the standpoint that in many cases, CEOs have to be comfortable with being unpopular. Um, it comes with the job. You have to make the decision. But if you make that decision that you believe is right and that's consistent with your values, then I think that you're leading in a higher order. And we, and we spent some time talking about that. The second thing that we, we spent some time talking about is the notion of leading into broader societal issues. And the point on that was that today, unlike 50 years ago, when you could argue that CEOs focused almost exclusively on the bottom line, i.e. profits, today 
you're much more integrated with society. And so you need to think about how you operate your business with societal values in mind and also thinking particularly about having diversity and inclusion within your workplace. And then I think the last thing that we talked about is that we live in a world where that things are changing so quickly, where certain skills are needed. And to be an effective leader today, to have the right group of employees that are able to do what you need to be done, you need to continue to train your employees and you need to ensure that they have the right skills for the future. And all of that were important points that we talked about in our discussion. Great, thank you. So coming up next is Eric's interview from Davos with U.S. Chairman and Senior Partner for PwC, Tim Ryan. So let's dive right into it. Tim, give me a sense of how do you define successful leadership today? I think successful leadership is about two things, Eric. It's about delivering short-term results for shareholders, which is a prerequisite to make sure you're delivering for those who charge you with that responsibility. But it's also being humble enough to know you have a broader societal responsibility to make sure that we're doing the right things for all of our stakeholders. I go to our employees as a great example. I go to the communities that we do business with. And the great leaders are the ones who understand you have both those responsibilities and then see them come together. Because when you're taking care of your employees, you're taking care of society, that ultimately drives good business as well. Right. And I know you've been at PwC for, for a while. Have you seen the values of leadership change? over the course of time, either at PwC or with the many clients that you work with? Without a doubt. I mean, as our world has more challenges and opportunities, we've seen leadership evolve over time. And I'll just share with you a, a quick story. One of our clients a couple of years ago was going through normal succession planning. Right. And they had people in the queue that they were to go. And the board, who I had a good relationship with, they, they called me. And they said, we're, we've got two people we're looking at. We think they have the right skill sets but we're not sure one of them has kept up with the changing responsibilities of leadership, i.e. to make sure you are taking care of all of your stakeholders. And has he paid enough attention to employees? Has he paid enough attention to our other stakeholders, his responsibility bringing along? And I thought to myself when I held the phone, good for them, good for the board. I've seen that happen in spades. The leadership responsibilities and skill sets today are way different than they were five years ago. And so let's dive into that a little bit. Uh, certainly we just talked a little bit about values, but what are some of those specific challenges that you see leaders facing, certainly as we live in a world that's becoming more technology-driven um, and certainly globalized. Yeah. So I'll give you one thing that we're keenly focused on at PwC, and I, I think will become the new norm for CEOs all across the globe, is how do you make sure you don't be, leave people, how do you make sure you don't leave people by the wayside as we get more technology advances, specifically upskilling. So one of the things that we're keenly focused on at PwC is upskilling all 55,000 of our people. I've said very clearly to our people, we won't leave you behind as long as you choose not to be left behind. And my responsibility is to make sure we're giving our people the right skills to make sure they're relevant both at PwC and when they leave PwC. So we hear an awful lot of talk about technology. We're on the front end of that curve, but it's also important for a CEO to make sure that he or she is investing in their employees along the way. So. Every year at Davos, yeah. PwC releases its annual global CEO survey. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the findings that you have discovered um, uh, this year. So we launched our 22nd annual global CEO survey in Davos here yesterday. And the, the headline was, when you look at CEO confidence year over year, 2018 to 2019, when we launched a survey, 
it's down. Now, context is important. We went from record confidence last year in global economic growth, and while it's still high, it's down significantly over the previous year. When we peel back the layers of the onion, there's some interesting stories, and I'll go to the U.S. 91% of CEOs are confident in their growth in their business, so they expect to see revenue growth in the next year in their business. It tells me that our CEOs that we work with they're geared up and ready to compete. They've been investing in products, services, they've been investing in their people, making sure their products have the right value differentiator, and they're geared up for competition. So it's a little bit of little hesitation around global right. economic growth, but then when you look at the mirror around their own company, the things they can control, they're keenly focused and ready to compete. Oh, interesting. So at, at, at US News, we uh, released yeah. our best country results, right. and one of the findings that we had in, in our survey was that we are finding that um, business leaders, influencers, have more confidence today in business leaders than they do in government and political leaders. Right. So w when you think of something like, l l like that, what are then the additional challenges uh, and the societal responsibilities that private or public business leaders have today? So, I, by the way, I'm encouraged by that trend, and yeah. that's been a trend that's improving the last couple of years to see society trusting and expecting more of business leaders, because right. I do believe business leaders have a big responsibility to lean into broader societal issues. We can't leave people behind or we get divides. For me, the biggest area that I see opportunity is diversity and inclusion at the right. end of the day. And I, I will go specifically to the United States. Right. While we've made progress on women in the United States, we're not where we need to be. Right. When you look at where we are in race in the United States, we're not anywhere where right. we need to be. And it's a great opportunity for CEOs to walk the talk, to make sure in every element with their existing employees who are underrepresented, right. but also giving other people opportunities. And that's been a huge area of focus for us at PwC. Right. And I think as you're aware, we've been yeah. working with the CEO community to drive right. more engagement as well. Right, you're uh, part of the CEO Action for mm -hmm. Diversity and, and, right. and Inclusion. Uh, give me a sense, how long have you been part right. of, of, of this group? And g give us a sense of some of the advances that have been achieved right. uh, as, part of this, as part of this group. So a little bit of a quick story. So CEO Action was founded in, in the summer of 2017. And it was founded because one of my employees came to me in the summer of 2016. And he asked me, what's your role as a CEO outside of PwC? So I was feeling pretty good about what we we're doing inside right. PwC. <laughs> I thought, kind of give me a break. Let yeah. me get a chance to, to do what we need to do inside PwC. Yeah. But he had the courage to ask me, what's my role outside? Long story short, that ultimately led to the founding of CEO Action mm -hmm. for Diversity and Inclusion. We launched in the summer of, of 2017, so we're roughly 18 months old, 19 months old. And in 19 short months, we now have 550 CEOs wow. who have made that commitment from the small group that we started. And those CEOs have made three basic commitments. They've made the commitment to make workplaces safe, truly safe, to have hard conversations about race, about gender, about sexual orientation, so people can feel like people understand what their challenges are. CEOs also made the commitment as part of joining CEO Action to make unconscious bias training available for everybody, not just the executive team, but make it available to every employee because we know science has shown us we all have biases. Mm -hmm. And as leaders and as any coworkers, we can't include people if we don't understand our own biases, mm -hmm. which we all have. And it doesn't make us bad. It's bad if we don't address them. Right. It doesn't make us bad if we have them. And then lastly, and the thing I'm most excited about, large companies like PwC, we're blessed with financial resources to invest in diversity inclusion. But small companies, medium-sized companies, they don't have the financial resources to do it. 
And so we made the commitment as CEOs to share best practices. Right. And on the site, which is CEOaction.com, we now have over 600 best practices that any company yeah. can adopt. So three major commitments, 550 CEOs. The thing I'm also very excited about is we just launched a blind spot tour. So we bought a bus, PwC bought a bus, and it's touring the country to touch a million people on college campuses and on in the employer workplaces to teach unconscious bias training through gamification virtual reality. And it's touring the country. You can see where it is on the website and go see it. Right. That's um, you know really interesting and also consistent with some of the other results in our best country right. surveys where uh, citizens are expecting business leaders uh, to take action in, you know, in, in the community and go beyond just um, the idea that uh, just focusing on bottom line on the company. Yeah. Uh, and that's, then that's a perfect example. Uh, so that's also an example of, of leadership uh, making changes at, at the top. And, and if you have made this commitment and other changes, how have you seen that flow throughout, uh, throughout PwC through yeah. Uh, and being and, and affecting the 55,000 employees that you have at PwC. Yeah. So so look, one of the things that I, I actually did a tweet last night, and I was I was talking to some CEOs last night. Leadership is sometimes unpopular, and, right. and CEOs need to be willing need to be willing to yeah. be unpopular. It comes with the job, and you have to do what you believe is right and what's consistent with your values. As we started driving this at PwC, we we made people uncomfortable. We we started talking about things. That, that some some people were uncomfortable. Now, at the same token, there was a whole other group who were like, this is great, we gotta lean in, thank you, and keep making it happen. There were others who were just uncomfortable by the conversations because we wanted to make the workplace safe. My job was to leave from the front and show people that I could get over my own areas of discomfort to have right. those conversations. So I'd be lying if I told you it was met with unbridled, massive sure. enthusiasm. Yeah. It was met with some massive enthusiasm by some groups, and others were a little more constrained, a little more worried. Mm -hmm. But over time, we've all begun to learn, we've all begun to see the benefits of having these hard conversations. And it's why I believe truly change starts at the top, and you've got to continue to drive right. Today, 18, 19 months in that journey, we're a lot more comfortable today than we were 19 months ago, and I'm, and I'm equally certain 24 months from now we'll be even more comfortable. That's a, that's a great story. It's yeah. also further evidence that leadership yeah. is, is, never, is never easy. Right. So last question, yeah. um, who are some of the leaders that you have admired or who have uh, affected your career or your thinking? Hmm. So I guess I'll give you two. Okay. I'll give you two. I, I, when I look at history, I look at Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. And I've had the chance to study his leadership and the situation at the time. I, I truly believe there was somebody who had a purpose at the end of the day, and he ultimately gave his life for that purpose. And he made some incredibly unpopular decisions at the time to keep our country together. And our world needs more Abraham Lincolns. Our world needs more Dr. Martin Luther Kings and people who are willing to go out there and make the ultimate sacrifice to make us better. And I am, without a doubt, inspired way more inspired by their leadership than growing revenues 8% versus 9%. And, and for them, for me, those two individuals drive massive inspiration for me. I'd also be remiss if I didn't go right back to my upbringing. My, my mother, for me, has been a huge source of inspiration. She passed three years ago, but she taught us as children three basic things. And she was not educated, not college educated, but she taught us to work hard. And, and that comes with life. If anything you want is important, work hard. 
she taught us to be honest, and whether it's about taking Boy Scout money, which I did when I was a young child, <laughs> or dealing with some of the more hard decisions we make today, honesty has got to be a core value. And most importantly, she taught us to respect everybody, no matter who they are. My mother's a cashier in a supermarket, and she demanded respect for everybody. So when I look at my leaders that I admire, there's a lot of great leaders in business, but I go back to decades and centuries ago with Lincoln and King, and I look at my mother in the last couple of years, who've been remarkable. Well, great. Those are great yeah. life lessons and great yeah. leadership lessons. And so, uh, Tim Ryan, thank you. Thanks, uh, thank you for talking leadership with us at the uh, World Economic Forum. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. In the next conversation we'll hear, Eric, you interview Jennifer Nason, Global Chairman of Investment Banking at J.P. Morgan Chase, and Sam Saperstein, Head of Women on the Move, also from J.P. Morgan Chase. What are some of the key takeaways that listeners should focus on from this interview? Well, these are two exceptional women who are in important leadership roles at J.P. Morgan. And I think that there were uh, three important takeaways in our discussion. One is... And obviously, it goes without saying, the importance of having uh, a diverse and inclusive workforce. And here's a case where these are two individuals that are not just talking about the need for it, but they're also discussing how that gets implemented at J.P. Morgan. As part of that, uh, they also talk about how you can use technology today and the focus of technology to ensure that those principles of having diversity and inclusion in the workplace come about. And then I think uh, lastly, and, and I think they articulate what is clearly evident within the company, and that comes from uh, the CEO of the company, and that is that the values and principles that JP Morgan stand for have clearly been articulated within the company um, but not just that, they are understood by all the employees. And I think both parts of not just saying them, but making sure people understand and engage are incredibly important. You spoke earlier about this idea of 21st century thinking. What is J.P. Morgan Chase doing from a leadership perspective to move from 20th century thinking to 21st century thinking? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Their perspective on 21st century leadership is, is a little bit different than, uh, than what I heard in, in some of the other interviews. Uh, first of all, they talk about this concept of, of player coach. And what I mean by that and what, what they talk about in the interview is that it's not just getting on the field, but it's also coaching and training your players so that as a team, you're doing better. It is not an individual sport. It really is a, a team sport. The second point that they make very clearly is that today, and, and we all know that listening is important, but listening is not good enough anymore. It's not just listening, but it's, it's processing, it's acting, and it's going beyond just asking the question that you hear. And then I think the third point that, that they reinforce is it's, it's all about the talent. It's about having the right people on the field, and it's helping those individuals rise to their highest level of talent. And those together, I think, make up a powerful recipe for 21st century leadership. 
What you'll hear next is Eric's interview from Davos with J.P. Morgan Chase's Jennifer Nason, Global Chairman of Investment Banking, and Sam Saperstein, Head of Women on the Move. So as the Chinese proverb likes to say, we live in interesting times. We're living in a globalized world. There's a uh, becoming more uh, technology-oriented. Uh, there's huge competition for talent. So tell me each, how do you manage in these interesting times? So I think it all starts with people. We really need to make sure we have the best talent in the bank to do so many different jobs. And I think the nature of jobs are changing themselves. So we have so many more technologists than we ever had before. And everyone's own job, I think, is becoming more focused on technology. So even if you're not a technologist yourself, you need to have some fluency with the types of things that we need to do. Um, so I think it really all comes down to our skills, to building the right culture, and to making sure we function well as a team. Yeah, I would just add, I think it's really crucial these days to be incredibly open-minded and not frightened. I think it's very easy as a leader right now to focus on the downside consequences, particularly of technology uh, and how it's impacting the way we work, um, and yet the benefits are going to be clear. So I think managing with a positive attitude is really important. And, and can you talk a little bit about how the bank externalizes that message, how the bank is leading and uh, demonstrating its priorities in this world? So I think on the people front, we go out there and we talk to recruiter, recruitees really all the time. We're really trying to find people not only with the same skills of the past, but with new skills of the future and diverse mindsets. So one example of this is we're trying to find more women um, for our technology organization, but overall as a whole as well. Yeah, I would just add that, um, you know, JP Morgan spends something like $10 billion a year on technology. So we're, we're buying technology and deploying it at a very rapid uh, pace. But at the same time, we're soliciting feedback constantly from our 300,000 um, employees on how they're coping with those changes um, and getting feedback. So it's not a one-way street but at, at all. Sure. Um, you both have been with the bank for a considerable amount of time. We've seen how leadership has changed from 20th century thinking to 21st century. Sometimes, um, to be quite basic, 20th century, you know, command from the top down. That doesn't work anymore. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the challenges, uh, the challenges you've had at the bank as the bank has started to uh, rethink its priorities and to deal with the talent and all the talent that you're trying to recruit? Yeah, I think our leaders have to be just more um, in the field almost than they ever have before. So we talk a lot about player coaches as leaders. So leaders who are going to help their team do well, be that coach, give good feedback, but also be able to get on the field, be the player when they need to and get into the details. I think our organization is a very execution, detail-oriented place, so people tend to do well there when they like those things. And so leaders have to be able to flex between both of those capabilities. Yeah, I would say uh, coming from the investment bank, where quite frankly the way we do the job hasn't changed very much since I joined 32 years ago. Um, I think the shift um, is quite profound and people are adapting sort of real time. I personally am very, very optimistic that it's going to provide enormous opportunity for more diverse talent because I think a lot more um, variety of skills and qualities are required to do this job well, whereas before, as you pointed out, it was a pretty linear sort of career path um, and, and functionality. 
So I, I like the analogy of the player coach as a, a new form of leadership. Um, and as we talked about, things are changing rapidly. Can you describe some of the other traits that are needed to be a 21st century leader uh, and someone who's leading at really at the top of the pack? I would say a few things. One obviously requires vision, being able to look into the future, be open-minded to what's going to come, to really look at your competitive set and understand what is everyone doing today, but where is everyone going? Um, really setting a vision for your own team to follow is going to be really critical. The other thing we think about all the time now is the client experience. In every business that we have, whether it's a consumer business or a wholesale business, we're always asking ourselves, how does that client interact with us? How can we do it better? What are those expectations that clients have? And we're trying to use technology, among other things, to really drive toward a much better experience. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I agree with all of that. And I think um, this listening to whether it's the client or whether it's the employee or whether it's you know, other constituents sort of in the ecosystem is really important. And then the ability to process that information and act on it. We certainly have tools today that make that easier, but being effective and efficient at that sort of information loop, I think is vital today. It's, it's not good enough to just be asking the questions, but it's understanding how to process that information and make decisions and push that down through middle management is, is critical to being nimble enough to compete. So uh, this, this week, US News has released its uh, survey of best countries. One of the results uh, that uh, we see in this survey is that consumers and citizens are expecting uh, leaders in the private sector to take a um, much more active role on social issues. This certainly was not the case in the 20th century when most leaders focused on really just P&L and, and stock price. And now, today, leaders are being forced to uh, talk about social, social issues and get involved. How do you see that playing a part in the leadership roles that, that you have? So the firm is taking a very active stance in a number of different priorities and really trying to pull our initiatives together to focus on them. One is financial literacy, which I think is a very important social goal. We're clearly trying to do that on behalf of women, but we're really doing it for women and men with the goal of trying to get everyone to have greater financial skills, being able to manage their money better, uh, being able to be more confident about their finances. Financial literacy just covers everybody across the spectrum and we think it's really important to get out that kind of message. Yeah, I personally don't think that corporate America has just suddenly woken up to the idea of being responsible citizens in the communities in which they do business. I think this has in fact been going on for a very long time, but it hasn't been talked about or been as overt as it is right now. So I think we actually, we as a company, have done good things in the world for decades. I think we're talking about it a lot more now, and we are doing more. But I think it's a mistake to think the light bulb just went off and we decided to be better corporate uh, citizens. I think that's actually unfair to corporate America and certainly to JP Morgan. Uh, you had Women on the Move. Tell us a little bit about what that program is and how, has, um, how have you implemented and give us a sense of some of the metrics of the successes that you've had. 
So the firm's been doing work for women for a very long time. As Jennifer mentioned, we focus on this area forever. But really we felt that it was time to pull together all of our efforts, both internally and externally. So we had one voice talking about our strategy, all of our resources together globally so we can make a bigger difference because in the past things had been spread out across the bank. So we really have three major strategic areas for what we want to do. We want to be the best bank for women to work at and we want more of our female employees to be in senior level roles. We want to also be a great bank for small business owners, women small business owners, and really try to address for them the pain around access to capital and get them the funding they need for their businesses. And lastly, we're focused on the consumer and making sure, again, they have optimal financial health through better tools to save and invest. So we're really looking at helping women across major aspects of their lives, their work lives, their professional lives, and their consumer lives. And we think by bringing together various businesses, our foundation, our technology group, we can really try to reach them wherever they are. And so we look at how are we doing on these measures? How many loans are we making to small business owners? How much uh, more savings can we help consumers drive? And what number of women are in our senior level roles? And what percentage um, can we rise to? We're really trying to aim higher. And Jennifer, can you talk about how the emphasis on diversity and inclusion has changed the investment banking unit at the bank? Yeah, I'd say within financial services, investment banking has probably been the slowest of all, certainly of all of our lines of business, and I'd, I'd say that probably applies across the industry to sort of change the way we do business and make it more interesting and available to a more diverse workforce. As I said earlier, I think investment bankers have functioned pretty much the same way since the industry um, emerged. Um, so I think there's a lot happening right now to actually change the way we do the job and I think that's going to change the profile of sort of the typical investment banker. So it's never enough progress for me, there's always more we can do, but I think at JP Morgan we are, this is a front and centre issue for us. I also want to talk about recruitment of next generation uh, employees. Uh, what, what we have found uh, at our company and certainly a lot of the companies that we talk to is there's a need for a mission-driven focus um, and that is something that appeals to a lot of the millennials. Are you finding the, the same thing and how are you constantly recruiting sort of the new young talent to come to the bank? I think we're seeing the same thing, that both men and women want to do something with a purpose. And so we really try to describe the many different jobs that we have across the bank. Whether you're going to be a banker on the front line serving clients, or you're going to be somewhere doing support for the bank, there's a mission around it. And again, it all comes back to serving our clients, helping them build their businesses, or helping our consumers live better lives. So I think all of that messaging comes together. Um, when it comes to recruiting, it's interesting things we're doing is really trying to use technology to try to take the bias out of the recruiting process. So in the past, everybody scanned a resume and they looked at the same things that you always do with a human view to that. By using technology and looking at skills and testing people differently, we hope to take out some of that bias so that we get more people in the door who are diverse. Look, I, I've been at JP Morgan 32 years. I've always been a mission-driven uh, employee. Um, I've done a lot of different things at JP Morgan. The great thing about our company is we're we're big, we're global. There's there's any job you can imagine available um, at JP Morgan, and I certainly have taken full advantage of that in my career. So I think it's it's clearly a millennial issue, but I wouldn't underestimate how much that applies to everybody who works at JP Morgan, whether you're my age or just being um, recruited. I think there's a 
a, a unanimity of thinking around that subject today. So I have one last question. I want to step back. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Jennifer. When you look from your vantage uh, and, um, and you look across the, the world, uh, you certainly work on a global stage, who are the leaders that you admire? And then also, um, is there one or two people that have really influenced you, a mentor, a colleague, a family member? Um, so. Well, so I'm going to give you two, perhaps, ones you'd expect me to say, but I mean it very sincerely. So I've had the great privilege of working for Jamie Dimon yeah. for quite some time uh, now, and I've seen him up close in, in a complicated deal situation, and I've seen him sort of from afar as he sort of travels the world and, and so forth. And um, he embodies all of the qualities um, I demand of a leader. Um, and, uh, and he's incredibly accessible. So you can say anything, approach him, raise issues without fear of sort of negative consequence. And I think right now that is just a vital characteristic. And then I would say the other one, and I think about this all the time, is you know I'm a working mother of four children. My mother was a working mother of five children. And some of those practical skills of juggling and making life work, um, I, I really got training up close uh, with her. So Jamie Diamond and my mother. They would be a great combination, actually. Well, it's great. I can relate. My mother uh, had three sons. I'm obviously one of them. And she's worked full-time her entire life. And still at 82, still works wow. full-time. So it's amazing. Same question to you. You're allowed to say the same answer if you want. You can go off the board with something else, but who has influenced you and who do you admire? So I spent a lot of time looking at our diversity numbers in the bank. And one area that does very well in this is our consumer bank, which is led by Gordon Smith, our co-president as well. And what Gordon does so well is that he's constantly thinking of the talent. So if you look at his team, it's almost 50-50 men and women. We have women running our retail bank, our card division, women underneath them doing amazing things. It's because he has thought about it for many years and almost puts people in different roles to get them to those senior level roles. So just to see him at work and moving people around has been fascinating. And when you ask people who work in that business, you know, why is this such a successful business? They say it starts at the top, but it keeps cascading down. We see ourselves in these senior leaders so I just I love what he's done with it and I think it's made a real difference probably somebody who's had a big um, influence on me has been my grandfather he worked as a salesman and did many different jobs and ended up his career um, as a broker and he worked till he was 91 and so I think someone like that who really showed perseverance who showed the ability to take different jobs and to keep teaching himself different things in his 50s and 60s was something that I always looked at and listened to the stories you know, eagerly. And I think to myself, I really can't retire anytime soon because I have to keep going. Well, um, a, great, a great life lesson, great stories. Um, I thank you for joining us. Uh, 21st century leadership discussions here at the World Economic Forum with two leading executives at J.P. Morgan Chase, Jennifer Nason, and Sam Saperstein, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Eric, I want to thank you for coming on to share these conversations from the World Economic Forum Conference. We'll see you soon for another Leaders Talk episode. I look forward to it. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate it, comment on it, 
and if you have money questions related to personal finance, investing, real estate, or careers that you'd like answered on future shows, please email wealthofknowledge at usnews.com. We'll review your emails, and we'll try to answer a few on the next episode. Additionally, if you'd like to see video versions of these and more Leaders Talk interviews, please visit usnews.com leaders. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm Antonio Barbera. We'll see you next time with another episode in the Leaders Talk series.